Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. The Maryland State Department of Education's Division of Rehabilitation Services, or DOORS, helps people with disabilities find and keep their dream jobs. One group in the state agency helps the blind and visually impaired. Rehabilitation Counselors of DOORS' Office for Blindness and Vision Services, or OBVS, help blind clients by providing them important programs to find and maintain employment. Some of the programs are Orientation and Mobility, Academic Education, and Job Placement. Debbie Williamson is OBVS's Rehabilitation Supervisor in the agency's Cumberland, Maryland office. She joins us to talk about how DOORS helps the blind secure their future careers. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you very much. Let's get to know you first, Debbie. You're the Office for Blindness and Vision Services Rehabilitation Supervisor. What do you do in this position? Well, I'm one of three supervisors across the state that works um, in the Office for Blindness and Vision Services field offices. Mostly what I do is review and approve the work of counselors and rehabilitation teachers, train new counselors and teachers, and um, I do whatever else is asked of me, I guess. You make sure that they're doing a good job. That's certainly part of it. I have a wonderful staff. I, I supervise three rehabilitation counselors, vocational rehabilitation counselors, and three rehabilitation teachers who work in the Independent Living Older Blind Program. That's great. Are you my, blind yourself? I am. I am blind. I've been blind all my life. I have retinopathy of prematurity. I am almost 64 years old. I'm getting to that place where I'm starting to think about retirement, thinking about it very hard, actually. You know, I've been doing this work for almost 34 years. That is awesome. Well, good luck with that. Thank and, you. And, and I also have retinopathy of prematurity myself. So I definitely know what that's like. I guess we do. <laughs> yes, we do. So you've told us a little bit about the Division of Rehabilitation Services, but what, what's real, what do they really do for the blind and visually impaired? Well, rehabilita- the Rehabilitation Agency as a whole is an agency that assists people with disabilities to obtain and maintain employment. But in the Office for Blindness and Vision Services, that requires that we do a lot of extra things. You know, usually we're talking about starting from the development of independent living skills, um, development of orientation and mobility skills, you know, the things that we have to do as blind people to maximize our independence. And then we move on to talking about employment, doing things like um career assessments, assistive technology assessments, perhaps low vision assessment um, to help people determine what kinds of equipment they're going to need to be able to do 
whatever kind of work it is they want to do. Also, we then are looking at determining if the person needs some type of vocational training or if they need a college degree to be able to do what they want to do. I think it's one of the best jobs out there because there's so many different things we can do. We can be so creative within certain constraints. We can be so creative in the kinds of services that we offer people. These are the same services that are offered by the State Vocational Rehabilitation Agency in my state of California. You mentioned some of OBVS's services, including the career guidance assessment. How does that assessment program help clients choose their dream job? Don't they have to take like one of those special tests to figure out what careers match their skills? Not usually. Most of the time people, when they get to the point of believing that they really can pursue an employment goal, they usually have some idea what they want to do. And and career counseling in that instance is really mostly, you know, discussions with their counselors about the kinds of things that they want to do. But if a person comes to us and they really don't have any idea what, what their potential might be or their possible interests might be, we do career assessments. We, there are several different types. We have a, a full comprehensive assessment that we can purchase or we can um, provide less comprehensive assessments if a person has some kind of an interest and they just want to see if they can learn more about that interest and learn whether they demonstrate the potential to succeed. There are different kinds of assessment different levels of assessment that we can pursue. I think most of the time discussions with counselors is really what helps people develop the goals and hone in on those things that they already know that they want to do. And we just, you know, talk about, you know, the potential possibilities and what's going to be required to do you know, a, any given job. So you mentioned... I can't tell you that I have ever <laughs> administered one of those multiple choice careers. <laughs> I took one of those in school, high school, as a freshman. And that career test, those the choices that came out were priest or rabbi. Those kind of jobs go with doing this radio show, right? Because you well, have to speak in front know, in of an audience. in a certain way, yeah. In a certain way, they, <laughs> they do. You're listening to people. You're asking questions. You're taking an interest in, in what, people, what people think, what they do. So maybe there's a little bit of that kind of counseling aspect in it. And you're given sermons and speeches. Now, the Office for Blindness and Vision Services offers assistive technology, orientation mobility, and those independent living skills programs, as you said. Tell us more about the programs. Are they offered at the DOORS offices, or do the clients have to go to the local blind, visually impaired agencies to do these? The answer is yes and yes. Some services could be offered in the local offices, but mostly Maryland is one of, I guess, eight or nine states now who still have a comprehensive rehabilitation center. Ours is located in Baltimore, and it's called the Workforce and Technology Center. And at that center, all kinds of things are offered. There are various vocational trainings, not just for blind people, but for all people with disabilities. But at the center, there's also a unit 
that works specifically with the blind and visually impaired. There's also a rehabilitation technology unit where we send people for the assistive technology assessments. Um, that's where our business enterprise students go for training. We have a couple of other agencies in the state that provide independent living skills instruction and orientation and mobility on site. We also can contract with instructors who will come to the home. We have we have some staff who are rehabilitation teachers who will come to the home and work with people in their homes, um, especially to develop the independent living skills, you know, the cooking and the household management kinds of things. We do offer, you know, all the services are offered in all different kinds of places, depending. Maryland's kind of a unique state. We have lots of rural areas, and then we have parts of the state that are pretty metropolitan, like Baltimore and then in Montgomery County, which is located near D.C. You know, you've got lots of entities to provide the various services. But out here where I live in western Maryland in the mountains and also on the eastern shore, it's a whole lot more rural and we don't have places where people can go for some services. So we have to get them to the metropolitan areas for the assistive technology assessments, the low vision assessments, and that kind of thing. We're doing things in all kinds of places. I totally see how that works. And you mentioned that business enterprise program or the Maryland Business Enterprise Program for the Blind. The acronym form is MBEPB. How does MBEPB give clients the opportunity to operate gift, food service, and the retail concession business at public facilities? It's a program, and there are programs probably in, in every state. You know, it goes back to the, what, the Wagner-O'Day Act back in the dark ages of rehabilitation where blind people were determined to have access to these kinds of specific jobs, particularly in federal, state, and municipal buildings. And we have a lot of federal agencies in uh, Montgomery, Prince George's County, Baltimore County, where various kinds of vending facilities are located, everything from a huge military cafeterias to small snack bars and, as you say, some, you know, gift shops and that kind of thing. And so people who have a background in business or people who are interested and can def you know definitely pass a federal background check, people that don't have, you know, credit problems and criminal backgrounds and are US citizens and legally blind can become eligible to take the training and pursue employment in one of, of these facilities. But I hear it's not an easy program. It's not. Um, there are some business courses that they have to take through the Hadley program, you know, introductory business courses. They go on site to the Workforce and Technology Center and take their assistive technology training and the, the training, that the kind of general training that they need to run, you know, a food service entity. 
Um, then they're placed in internship sites working under other BEP counselors for a length of time. And then as facilities become available, then they are able to bid on those facilities. There's a very strict oh, seniority kind of aspect to that that I probably don't fully understand. But, you know, the longer you've been with the agency, the more likely you are to be eligible for the higher income facilities that come open. But then there's a trickle-down effect, and ultimately those people who are just starting out do get then the opportunity to bid on, on a facility and, and, and go to work there. So, I mean, it, it's a great program, um, but it's not for everybody. I think we have 70 facilities, and at this point we have about 50 to 55 folks who are running those facilities. So some people are running more than one. They might have their main facility and a satellite facility. So what is the intake process for becoming a client of blindness The intake services? process would be you know, the same for a blind person as it is for anybody who applies for services from, from doors. There's an application to be completed, a financial form to be completed, a, a health status form. Those are kind of the main things that have to be done. And then we do, you know, the, the various assessments in order to determine a person meets the requirements. Of course, we serve people who are legally blind, but we also serve people up to a visual acuity of, of 20 over 70 because they're, you know, those are those are people who have significant issues as well. When we're, we're considering eligibility for services, we're considering, you know, what the person's background already is. You know, if you're somebody who already has job skills and you can work with the skills that you have, maybe we're not as likely, you know, to make that person eligible. Although that's actually changing too with the new workforce investment laws. Our whole approach to rehabilitation is undergoing some major changes with, you know, with those new laws. And I'm not really sure how it's all going to play out, but there will be some changes regarding the whole thing of a job versus a career and what constitutes a successful a successful case closure with people will now be looking at you know combining our information with other agencies like you know the Maryland Job Service and some of the other adult agencies it won't just be us now and all that talk about people being able to go into their local job service office and, you know, be exposed to, you know, the job seeking and things that, you know, the non-disabled are being exposed to. It's going to change. They can't just send everybody back to us. We're all supposed to be working together. So I know I've strayed from the answer to your question, but just the application part is, is really kind of no big deal. It's a little bit of paperwork, but, um, you know, then from there, you know, we go into determining person's eligibility. We do have an income scale that we have to adhere to, so it's a sliding scale. We consider the total family income unless the person applying for services receives Social Security disability or SSI benefits, and in that case, they're automatically financially eligible. 
and other people, then, you know, that we have to consider family income, we may be able to pay a portion of the cost of the things that they need, like their assistive technology devices, their low vision devices, or some of the things recommended by a rehabilitation teacher. But the things that we don't apply to the in- income scale would be actual instruction. We don't apply orientation and mobility instruction. We don't charge for rehabilitation teaching instruction. We don't charge for actually teaching the person how to use a computer with JAWS or a computer with ZoomText. But we may have to apply that financial stuff to the purchase of the equipment. What happens once the person goes through your services and gets the job? How long more do they stay in the system? Is there a certain number of days? We don't close a case until the person has been employed for at least 90 days. And a lot a lot of times we don't close the case at that point, you know, for a variety of reasons, but that's the 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 magic number is 90 days. And then uh, if a person then finds that, you know, there's been a change in their vision or been a change in their needs, a change in their job duties, if they need to come back to us for additional services, we can offer some post-employment services to help them maintain their employment. Um, I do that a lot, actually. Um, even though I'm a supervisor, I still run a caseload, a small caseload. So <laughs> I, I have done that quite often. What's the future for OBVS? Any new future things that are going to happen? There are going to be big changes across the board for the whole agency. As I mentioned before, the Workforce Investment Opportunity Act, which was passed in oh, 2014, and they're still still you know, working on the regulations for, but mostly we have, you know, some things, um, you know, there are big changes. For example, working with students starting at age 14 rather than working with students starting at age 16. We're now working with the pre-employment transitioning students, what they're called, pre-ets. We start going to IEPs of students in the ninth grade. We can start offering various kinds of career counseling, work readiness training, that kind of thing to students at an earlier age so that when they get to the point where they are in their next to the last year of high school, maybe they stand a better chance of having some real idea of what they want to do. The folks who pass these laws were hoping that this would give students a leg up on figuring out what they want to do and being a whole lot more ready to go do it. So that's a big change for us. Other big changes, as I kind of alluded to before, are going to be in, you know, how we as an agency working with other agencies throughout the state are going to determine what constitutes a successful case closure, for example. The whole reporting of that is going to change starting in July. I don't really know how it's all going to play out yet. You know, I've heard various presentations, but to actually see it on a day-to-day basis, I don't really know how it's going to play out. Another big change is that because of the workforce investment stuff, 
we are not no longer able to close somebody's case as a homemaker, an independent homemaker, maybe somebody who has children at home and doesn't really want to work out in the community but wants to you know, stay at home and raise their children, but they need the independent living skills to do that. Or somebody who you know, is newly blind and has really no confidence and no belief that they ever could work, so they make the decision that they're not going to work. And we really are not going to be allowed to serve those people anymore unless we introduce the skills that they need in the hopes that that will increase their level of self-confidence so that at some point in the future they're really going to be able to think that maybe they can pursue employment. All right. How do our listeners apply for services to the agency? Well, there certainly are several ways. Um, the the website, which is dors.maryland, spelled out, .gov, is our website. And a person can go there and they can fill out a referral form. Um, they can get access to the various phone numbers for various offices, and they can call and refer themselves. Sometimes low vision specialists um, can, you know, will refer people to us. All We get referrals all kinds of ways. Um, but, you know, the easiest way is to go to the website and fill out the referral form, and it, and it will then come to us. That's great. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, I didn't even touch on the Independent Living Older Blind Program, which is a program for people 55 and older. And older. Tell us and those quick. are the folks we really are allowed to provide those independent living skills training in the home and, and you, know, cons- you know, still close a successful case for them. Um, the Independent Living Older Blind Program is a federal grant program, and we receive money um, that's where my three rehabilitation teachers um, get the the case loads that they have um, is to work with the 55 and older group. And then they also work with some of our vocational folks um, to get, you know, them on track, you know, for the next phase of their program. So they are a very important part of what we do. Well, Debbie, I want to only not thank you for coming on the show, but I also want to thank your husband named Roger, who's one of our (laughs) listeners to this program and who also ran the senior support group. We hope that our listeners apply to Doors' OBVS services and work towards their dream careers. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program, listeners. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind, or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org, and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows ranging from episode 94 to the present. 
that's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. This show on ACB Radio Interactive called The Good Energy Mix, I wonder if that's supposed to help us deal with our utility bills. Tell them not to turn off the power. I need to be on the air. Oh, my God. Or maybe I can get more energy by ordering food from this show. He said he'll take a, a roast beef sandwich with horseradish. Yay, we got food! Or maybe it's the energetic music that's being played. Come get energized with me. Want some great tunes and laughter and fun? Well, the show contains all of this plus much more, and you can hear it every Monday morning beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. You can hear great jazzy tunes, folk music, oldies, and much, much more. So don't miss the Good Energy Mix every Monday with Debbie Hazelton. That's why I'm the woo-woo-wacky witch hazel. (laughs) The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. You're listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, the talk of the blind community.